Hello, and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage podcast. My name is JD, and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com. And today we're talking about remarriage after divorce. And a friend of mine recently asked if the Bible allows you to remarry after you've been divorced. You see, her husband had divorced her years ago, and while she had no specific candidates in mind, she didn't want to even entertain the idea of a relationship that might lead to something romantic. I mean, who wants to be stuck choosing between God and someone you want to marry? If only more people had that foresight in different situations. And her impression from reading the Bible was that if you were divorced and remarried, not only would you be committing adultery in God's eyes, but so too would be your future or potential spouse. So then how could she entertain the idea of remarriage if it means that she's committing adultery and causing this potential spouse to also commit adultery? And knowing that I like to tackle difficult questions and find answers to them, um, she asked me, is it okay to remarry after being divorced? And after spending quite a bit of time digging into this and trying to figure out uh, what the Bible said, because it wasn't quite so clear cut, I decided I might as well turn this into a blog post and a podcast. Now, things like this tend to lend themselves better to blog posts than podcasts. So this is going to be a lot of verses. Uh, on the blog, I have parts of them bolded so that it's easier to see the distinctions between them. Um, if you get lost, maybe go check out the blog post. But I'm going to do my very best to keep it all straight and sane and simple in this episode. So right away when she asked, my first impression was that it didn't seem right for someone whose spouse had divorced them to be relegated to a life of singleness. You know, that doesn't mean that they're owed another spouse by any means, but if the opportunity presents itself, why not? I couldn't think of a biblical principle that I knew that would be violated by this. But as Christians, we shouldn't be guided by our feelings, contrary to what many Christians seems to believe these days, but rather by the word of God. So I opened up my Bible and quickly saw why she had formed the opinion she had when I read this verse in Matthew 5, verse 32 from the New King James Version. And it says, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, a plain reading of that seems pretty clear-cut, isn't it? Uh, On on surface level, it it flat out says that uh, it causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries her also commits adultery. However, the more I dug into it, the less clear it seemed. After all, how can a husband make his wife an adulterer by his actions? You know, the Bible is quite clear that we are responsible for our own actions for our own sins. Ezekiel 18 shows this principle clearly when talking about the righteous man and the unrighteous son. You'll have to go check that out one out for yourself. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. So I decided to look at some other translations and see what they did with this verse. And the NIV says that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. The Berean Bible study says that um, he brings adultery upon her. The God's Word translation, which is more of a paraphrase, says, um, but I guarantee that any man who divorces his wife for any reason other than unfaithfulness makes her look as though she has committed adultery. Now, the God's Word translation, I think, is taking some liberties here. 
uh, as many paraphrases do. But all in all, I think they're probably doing a better job of conveying the meaning. And reading scholars' opinions of the actual Greek shows that, you know, that phrase causes her to shows that the object of the sentence is the wife, and she's the one in the passive role here, not the one doing any action. In this case, then it's the husband who's doing the divorcing and acting upon her. In short, he's the one that's committing adultery. And we have kind of a similar thing happen in 1 John 10. Um, It reads, if we say that we have not sinned, then we make him, that is God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, can I cause God to be a liar? Can any action I do make him not to be truthful? And the answer is no, of course not. And by the same token, can I do anything to make my wife an adulteress? No, I can't. But in English, we don't really have good words to represent this. Uh, In Greek, the active and passive forms of the word are clear, but in English, we don't seem to have words for these tenses. We don't have a word for the one who was adultered against. So lastly, I decided to check out one of the translations that were done from a Hebrew version of Matthew. Um, Some believe that uh, the Gospels particularly Matthew, were first written in Hebrew and then later translated into Greek, and then we lost the Hebrews. And in recent years, we've actually found Hebrew versions of them that seem to come from a prior translation than the Greek ones do. So I was interested just to see how they translated this. So this one comes from a version translated by George Howard from the Shem Tov Hebrew Matthew. And they have it as, And I say to you that anyone who leaves his wife is to give her a bill of divorce. But concerning adultery, he is the one who commits adultery, and he who takes her commits adultery. Now, interestingly, it seems to agree that the husband in this case is the actor, and that the fault, responsibility, sin, and label of adulterer falls upon him. She has been adultered against. She's the violated one, not the one doing the violation. So, that seems to clear up the first part of the verse. What then we do we do with the second part of the verse? Because it doesn't really help a whole lot if, great, she's she can remarry, it's not adultery for her, but anyone who marries her, it's still considered adultery for him. That really doesn't resolve anything at all. So the second part of the verse reads, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is also problematic because we have other verses in the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, that says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. And this seems to contradict the plain text reading of Matthew 5, verse 32b. Like, so if they divorce, then no, you're still stuck to them, and anyone who marries you is committing divorce. But if they're not a believer and they leave, then you're not? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's some contradiction going on. So that clearly needs more study again. And later on in Matthew 19, we see Jesus tackle this subject again. In that chapter, we see the Pharisees coming to Jesus with a question, as they often did. They quote Deuteronomy 24 and ask if it's lawful for a husband to divorce his wife. Jesus responds saying that God never intended for divorce, 
And afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus basically the same question. They want to know what's the legalistic answer, uh, not the principle that Jesus was trying to teach that marriage is a serious thing. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 9. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And that's it. He stops there. In Mark, we get the same story. And he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And oddly enough, there's no mention of remarriage counting as adultery in these accounts. Also, what's interesting is that in Deuteronomy 24, the only mention of remarriage that appears to be abhorrent is if you divorce your wife and she marries another man and then he divorces her or dies and then you marry your wife again. I think maybe this was to stop husbands from trying to, quote unquote, legally swap wives. And that would make the verse in Matthew 5 verse 32 make sense. You know, if you meet another man and you're each attracted to each other's wife, but you're bored with your own, if you each divorce your wife and marry the other, then legally it would be okay. But really you're just conspiring to commit adultery together. As well, all of this is within a larger talk in Matthew 5 of Jesus trying to teach people, my guess is the Pharisees most of all, that the principles behind the laws are the more important part to stop looking for legal loopholes. You know, not murdering isn't enough. You have to love even your enemy. Divorcing for lawful reasons isn't enough. You have to love your spouse even when it's hard or you don't want to. And the entire point is that a marriage should be a living example of the love God has for us. It's not a joke and it's not to be taken light. And we see this when we look at other verses on the same topic. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 10 to 11 says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. In short, it's kind of, if you're going to leave a marriage for frivolous reasons, like we fell out of love, or it was just too hard, or I was unhappy, well, then you better just stay unmarried. Marriage isn't for you. Frankly, you don't have the character it requires. If you can't take it seriously, don't get into another one. If you can convince your spouse to take you back and try again, fine, but don't make someone else miserable because you're the problem, not the marriage. Again, if you're divorcing for frivolous reasons, not I'm not talking about adultery or real abuse, things like that. So looking at this 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15 verse again, you know, it says that if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. You know, I was wondering, what does this enslaved mean? Well, I also found this other verse in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39. So a couple dozen verses down. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And these words bound and enslaved, you know, they share the same root in Greek. It's being subject to the law a law that binds you together. Uh, Romans 7 verses 2 to 3 uses, again, kind of the same concept. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So 
there seem to be clear ways that this binding can be broken. Uh, if your spouse dies, then you aren't bound. Likewise, seemingly, if they divorce you, you aren't bound. That's what a certificate of divorce was for. It was a legal document saying that you are no longer bound by the law. If your spouse leaves you for frivolous reasons, well, then it's not your fault. You haven't done anything wrong. You aren't bound by that law. You are free from it. And what I read from all of this is that marriage is really important. So important that choosing to enter or leave it is a serious thing. I think far more serious than our society seems to take it. I think more seriously than many Christians seem to take it, to be honest. I'm constantly amazed at some of the emails I get asking if it's okay to leave your spouse just because things have gotten difficult. And by difficult, I mean first world problems difficult, if you know what I mean. Not really serious issues. I do get those emails as well, but I'm not talking about that right now. So now, how do I read this verse in Matthew 5 verse 32? You know, the one that says, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. My understanding of this is that if you choose to leave the marriage for a frivolous issue, then you aren't fit to be married. You aren't giving it the weight it deserves. Now, I think the corollary to this is the opposite case, that if you marry someone whose spouse divorced them for a serious issue like adultery, well, that's probably not wise either. What makes you think that they won't do the same behavior in your marriage as well? In fact, I just read a recent study uh, called Once a Cheater, Always a Cheater, Serial Infidelity Across Subsequent Relationships, which found that someone who has cheated in a relationship is 3.4 times more likely to engage in infidelity in a subsequent relationship compared to someone who has never cheated. Another way to put it is that 44% of subjects who engaged in infidelity did so again in their next relationship. That's nearly a 50-50 chance, sort of rolling the dice there. So can you get married again if you're divorced? As far as I can tell, if you didn't instigate the divorce or cause the divorce through sexual immorality, I don't see why not. I cannot find a biblical reason for it. Alternatively, if you did instigate a divorce, repent, and convince your spouse to take you back, then you can marry them again. That's how I see it anyways. And if you disagree, I'd love to hear your reasons and verses to back them up. Um, head over to the blog and stick it in the comment section. Or shoot me an email at j at uncoveringintimacy.com. That'll work too. That's it for today. I'm working on the questions I got in February, so they should be out shortly. And that's about it for now. See ya.